That's a good song. Um, real quick, while we got some announcements to go here, prayer request, we'll be on page 1293, 1293 of the church Bibles today to read. Uh, real quick, man, it's awesome to see Daniel and Amanda here today. And they say August is just growing a little bit every week. And uh, he's up to 2 7. Is that what y'all said? Awesome. That's awesome. So we just continue to pray that boy will grow and Stay healthy and be home soon. So, And Amanda says her 
kidney functions are manageable, but we're not quite through praying because we're going to pray that she doesn't need any um, help with all that. You know, is it uh, anyway? We'll continue to pray God can bring all that back to uh, the way He created it. Our little Ava uh, in Houston, Ryan and Brooke, and of course Kathy's still down there. She may be coming back this week. Um, I know that's a push and pull for her a little bit because she loves those granddaughters she's been keeping, but she also kind of wants to get home too. But anyway, she's uh, been doing a great job down there keeping those granddaughters so they can tend to Ava. But Ava has begun to eat a lot better. She's off of the uh, CPAP for breathing. She's off of that and off of any IVs. So health-wise, she's doing great. They just need her to eat a little more so she can maintain gaining some weight and get some more calories, but she's doing well, thank the Lord. And uh, little Wesley, the uh, nephew on uh, Joe and Susan's side, uh, he had RSV, and uh, he has gone home from the hospital, bless Jesus, and he's doing well. Teresa tells me she's got a new great-grandbaby. Okay, a little boy, weighed 5'15". Okay, awesome, he's doing good, mom and baby are doing good, awesome. Bless him. All right, let's. Uh, I I just was led to Romans, the early part of Romans, because we've been studying uh, in Romans the last month or so, and uh, I don't know why the Lord. Oh, I do know why because in the first six verses, Paul literally stands up and waves his arm and says, "This is who I am, and this is who God is, and this is who I claim to be part of." And I think it's amazing to, to see where Paul starts this letter and to think of all the things that we've been taught uh, in the book of Romans over the last few weeks. So we're going to go verses 1 through 6. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a strong, strong passage. <clears throat> Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just bless you for time together. Uh, Lord, that you give us a place to come together and give you worship and praise and honor. And Lord, you'd also uh, speak to us each week, each week. Lord, I just thank you for all of the things you have brought to us uh, through Romans, this letter that Paul wrote. And Lord, to be reminded of the heart of the man who wrote this in these first six verses and who he aspired to be, who he claimed to be. Uh, he, he claimed to be separated to you. And, Lord, I pray, God, that we could hold on to that ourselves, and we'll always be willing to say who we are, who we believe in, and who our God is. And so, Lord, I just pray that we're challenged by this opening statement in Paul's letter to Rome. And uh, we thank you so much for the, for the answered prayers on our list this morning or just uh, several answered prayers, Lord Jesus. We bless you for that. And, Lord, we still have a few to, to lift up. We just continue to pray that you will um, bring things back into your order for Amanda. Lord, that uh, the doctors would say, well, 
we don't know why, but uh, things are fine. And so we just know that's what you do. And so I pray, God, that could be and that your name be lifted high above all. We thank you for the strength you're giving uh, August and Ava, and we pray you keep them healthy so they can just continue to grow and mature. Uh, and we do pray, Lord, that these two babies would at an early age know you, and, Lord, they would make a decision to follow you all their days. We bless you, Jesus, for this time together. Lord, I pray that as we come and give you worship, Lord, that we would come with humble hearts and uh, open minds and open eyes. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.
became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so
Good morning. Great time of praise this morning and, and worship. And I'm excited about the message that we're continuing. We're still in Romans, so we've been here a while, but we're continuing through. We're in chapter 10 on page uh, 1303 today. Page 1303. Paul continues the same theme that he's been working us through in Romans, and that is the main theme of Romans is how God makes man righteous. And I think we want to remember what righteousness is or what righteous is. And righteousness is right standing in God's eyes. And so I love where we are today in chapter 10 as God continues to help us understand this. And he gave me a title this morning. Yesterday I, I kept asking him for a title so I could understand the fullness of what he was wanting us to, to, uh, to see today. And he said this morning, he said, God's righteousness to salvation. And I thought, yes, I understand that. So I think as you come along with me this morning, you'll see God's righteousness to salvation. So starting in chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So chapter 9, God was, um, I'm sorry, Paul was helping us to understand that God has a plan of salvation. And uh, he was talking to us about that he has, uh, he will call his people that are not his people. If you remember back in verse 25, I will call my people who are not my people. Those are the Gentile people. And, and he will, and her beloved as not my uh, beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there they shall be called sons of the living God. So he helps us to understand that God is going to call the Jewish people and the Gentile people and call them together for salvation. So in this place where he starts out in chapter 10 and he says, my heart, he says, brethren, first of all, that's believers. He's Remember, he's writing to the church at Rome. He's talking to fellow believers. So he calls them brethren or brothers. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God. One thing that really stuck out to me when I was studying this week is this place that where Paul is praying for the salvation of Israel. He says, is for Israel that it might that they might be saved. I loved seeing this place. Because sometimes we feel like our prayers are not heard and we um, become lackadaisical in our prayer time and we just think, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. And we just forget that God has a way for us to communicate with him and it's part of his purpose and plan. Prayer is a way that he communicates with us. And so I see that Paul doesn't 
even though he's concerned and his heart is weary about this place for the Jewish people, for the house of Israel to be saved, he is continuing to pray and to seek the Lord in this matter. So this is where his heart is, is that Israel will be saved. But I want you to understand what he's writing to Israel has much to say to us as Gentiles today. So we have to listen carefully. Chap, uh, verse 2 says, For I bear with them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's saying, I, I've witnessed this. I, I've been a part of them. I know what they believe. I know what they, uh, what they, where they are. And, and he says, they have a zeal for God. They're enthusiastic about God. They are committed to God. They have a zeal for God, an excitement for God. But then it goes on to say, but not according to knowledge. This word knowledge here, it really helps us to understand more fully, is God's revealed truth. And Paul's going to help us to understand what he's meaning by that. But they have this excitement for God, but not in the revelation of God's truth. Now, I want to tell you, I think that there is a place that we can see that in our, uh, in our lives today, that we may know people that have a zeal for God, but they don't have the truth of who God is. And it gets real distorted sometimes. And that's what Paul is saying has happened to the Jewish people here, to Israel is that they have this excitement for God, but it doesn't come with truth. I see this oftentimes in the church today, that there is, a, there is a, a tendency to be all excited for Jesus and all excited for God, but it lacks the fullness of his truth. There is a lot of times that there are things taught with great enthusiasm that are not biblical. Sounds good. People want to believe it, but it doesn't line up with God's word. And that's really what Paul is saying. He's saying they didn't understand the fullness of God's truths. Verse 3 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have submitted, I'm sorry, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, uh, they were ignorant to what God's plan of righteousness really was. They had their own way. So it says, it says, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they didn't submit to the righteousness of God. They had their own way to be considered righteous. I see this is true today as well. So in, in these people, this, uh, the Jewish people, the, uh, the house of Israel, Paul is writing and saying that 
They didn't understand God's plan for righteousness. What was his plan for righteousness? And we're going to continue to see this unfold today. But Paul's been telling us over and over in every chapter that righteousness is never obtained from works, but only can be obtained through faith in God's plan that of the that we call the gospel that Jesus would die and be raised again to pay the penalty for yours and my sin and that righteousness can only be attained when believing in the work that Jesus did that's God's righteousness so when God was talking to me about this title I could understand it so clearly because he said his righteousness to salvation leads to salvation. His plan, his way, faith in what he's doing. But they had established their own righteousness. And they established this righteousness in keeping the law. And one of the things that has always stuck out to me that um, sometimes we think, well, that was foolish that they would do that that way. But I, I want to say that I feel like we do a lot of the same things today because they determined their righteousness on how they kept the law. If they did right things, if they did good deeds, if you will, if they were really a pretty good person according to the laws, then they counted themselves as righteous. I think today there is a, a tendency among believing Christians that get away from understanding the truth in faith and really determine their righteousness according to their goodness. People who count themselves as believers, that's really how I want to say that. People who count themselves as believers, yet have established their own way to believe that they are okay with God because they do good things. They really uh, go to church, they may um, teach a Sunday school class, they may, you know, they don't cheat anybody, they may not uh, um, steal from anybody. So they count all these things up and they go, I'm a good person. I, I want you to know, I've talked to so many people through the years and, I, and I'll ask them, I'll say, why, are you go why do you believe that you will be allowed into heaven, that you have a right to salvation with Jesus? Why do you believe that you will spend eternity with God? Why do you believe this? And over and over and over again, I hear people say, you know, I'm a really, I'm really a pretty good person. Have you heard people say that? I'm sure you have. I think it's going to be okay because I'm really a pretty good person. That's exactly what Paul is talking about with the people of Israel. And he's saying, 
My prayer is, I want you to look back at verse 1. My prayer is to God, to God the Father, for Israel that they may be saved. They're pretty good people is what I want you to hear. These are pretty good people and they are doing good things. And Paul is saying that's not it. They don't understand the righteousness of God, the plan of God for righteousness. It has nothing to do with your goodness. So let's continue on. In verse 4 it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This verse gets so misquoted by um, lots of pastors and lots of um, believers. And it says, we're, they say we're no longer under the law because it says that Christ is the end of the law. But what I want you to understand is this word end is not translated very well. It's, it's a word called telos, and it really means the goal, the objective, the definitive point. And so what Paul is writing here, and, and also I want you to know that this the before the law is not really there. So Paul is saying for Christ is the 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 main point, he is the goal of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, what he is saying is, is Christ is the, is the focal point, is the goal of the law, the law is correct, our law is correct, any law, any law that God is talking about all the way through his word. He is the focal point of, of what the law was trying to bring us to see. In verse 5, it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So here's the thing. This all comes together to help us to understand this place of the law. Not just the, not just the law of Moses, but all the laws. The laws that even God all the way back to Adam and Eve when he gave them a place to walk in obedience to the things he said to them, out of that law, those places were to be out of faith, not out of good deeds. He called Adam and Eve to come into a line with what he's doing out of faith in him, not out of this would make you a good person. Does that make sense? It's the same place with Abraham. He called him righteous because he was a man of faith.
So this place of the law, the law does not in any way make you righteous. The law does three things. It defines sin. It brings blessings. And it brings curses. It defines sin. It defines sin. It's the goal that leads us to Jesus when we look into the law and we see how sinful we are. This became so true in my life when God began to change my life. And the very first thing he said to me many, many years ago, and when I was in a relationship that was not in alignment with him, but at the same time thought I was going to heaven, because why? I was a pretty good person. Confident that if I died, I would be in heaven. But totally out of alignment with God's will for my life. And God opened my eyes by taking me to Leviticus, to the law. And in there he showed me that it said that if you commit adultery, the penalty is death. And I was involved in a relationship where the other person was married. I was not supposed to be there. Now, I got into this relationship not knowing that I did. So I didn't set out to be involved with a married man. That was not my goal. But I got involved with this man for a long time, for a couple of years, and did not know he was married. But when I found out, I didn't get out of the relationship. But more importantly, what I want you to hear today is that walking in this sinful place, it never occurred to me that I was not okay with God and I would not be entering his kingdom. I never, never considered that. But when God awakened me, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, I pray that God would hold it close to me because it taught me so much, but it also brought me out of that relationship, out of the darkness. That's his love that we were singing about. That was his love. The first thing he said to me that night is he said, do you know who you are? I thought I was pretty good. He said, you are an adulteress. That had never really entered my mind. And then he said, look up the penalty for adultery in the Bible. Well, I didn't even know where to find that. But I began to look. And I found it, and it was in Leviticus. 
And it said that the penalty for adultery is death. The picture that God is giving us in the law of this physical death is a spiritual death that, death that would be separated for him, separated for eternity from him. And God began to show me that. He said, in my eyes, you have committed adultery. You are separated from me. But in your eyes, you think we are fine. The law defines sin. First John tells us that. And when it defines sin, it lets us know we need a Savior. The goal is to lead us to Jesus. The goal is to help us to understand that you need Jesus. I believe in Galatians, Paul writes and he says that the, the law is a tutor, a tutorer that will lead us to, until Christ. It's, his, it's a tutorer until Christ. And people have turned that all upside down and they say, so we don't have to have that anymore because we have Jesus. No, the law leads us every day that we are in the word and reading God's word. It leads us to make us understand the truth of who we are and that we need a savior. Are there still places in my life that cause me to need a savior? Absolutely. Reading God's word is powerful in bringing us to that understanding. That's what Paul is talking about. And he's saying that Moses writes in verse 5 about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. He's saying that if you are going to be a man who is justified and made righteous by the law... You've got to keep every one of the laws. Or you're not righteous. The man who does those things shall live by them. There won't be any place you're not living by them. So I want you to think about it to, just for a moment. If you knew that God was going to judge you today according to all the good things that you have done and all the bad things that you've done, would you feel confident standing before God? I wonder, is there anybody in here that could say they have told a little white lie, not a big lie, just a little lie, somewhere in the past few months or weeks? Is there anything that we have done that might not be as loving to our neighbor as we should have been? But I 
think the one that grabs me the most is, is there anyone here that feels like that you've broken the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind? Have we broken these laws? If you are, then according to trying to be on your own righteousness, you're not righteous. You need a Savior. He goes on to write in verse 6, he says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or, Who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your head, that is the word of faith, which we preach. What Paul is writing comes out of Deuteronomy, out of the law. So I want us to look at that. It's Deuteronomy 30. It's on page 238 to better understand what Paul is talking about. So leave your marker here. We'll come back. Actually, I think it starts on page 237. So Moses is talking to the children of Israel shortly before they're going into the promised land. And he's giving the words of the Lord to them. Starting in verse 11, it says, For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? So there's, he's saying, Who will go up into heaven and get this commandment and bring it back down to us. Who would do that? And then 13 says, Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea <coughs> Excuse me, for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? And he's saying, so, you know, are we going to have to go up into heaven to get this word? Are we going to have to go down in the sea to get this word, this commandment? Verse 14 says, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See that I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to talk to the Lord your God. I'm sorry. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Now I want you to turn back to Romans because I want you to understand why he's using this this place. So now he's saying the righteousness of, of faith The righteousness of faith speaks this way. You don't have to go into heaven. It's very simple. You don't have to send somebody up to heaven to understand God's plan. 
It's very simple. You don't have to send someone over here into the abyss or the sea was considered the abyss. All the way down into the abyss. It's very simple. The righteousness, he's saying, the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Now jump down to eight. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This word, word, is uh, the rhema word of God. And it means that it is, when it's spoken, it produces action and power. So he's saying the righteousness of faith is that the word of God is very near in your mouth and in your heart, which is the word of faith which we preach. Now he's going to explain this, so I want you to come on. That if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's helping us to understand this, what righteousness of faith really is. This understanding of what righteousness is. He says it comes when you confess. What is confession? Confession is a public declaration. I'm sorry. That you are in agreement with. Agreement with. His word, his teachings, his truth. That's what confession is. And it says, what are you confessing? That Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? That Jesus is Lord of my life. I want you to know that when I was in the darkness, when I was in this relationship, Jesus wasn't Lord of my life. I was Lord of my life. I was doing what I wanted to do and I felt pretty good about it and I thought God should accept it because I was pretty good. That is not going to bring you into righteousness, into right standing before God. Do you see that? I was not in right standing. The only place that happened in my life was not me becoming a better person even though that night I turned away from that relationship I called that person up I said don't ever call me again I'm done because why because I saw I was an adulteress in the eyes of God and I deserved eternal death and it drew me to Jesus to forgive me and to save me. Paul is saying when you come in alignment with the righteousness of God, then you're going to be changed by the word that is near you, that's in your mouth, that's in your heart. And it will be the word of God 
not, it's not talking about the words you're speaking out here. It's talking about this rhema word of God that will fill you up and out of your mouth you will confess that he is Lord of your life. But he's not saying that only with your mouth, but it will also be in your heart. That he is Lord of your life and that God raised him from the dead. That you believe in the full gospel message that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again for God's, to fulfill God's purpose of righteousness. When Paul is writing this word of confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it is not simply a place of words. It is a confession that changes your whole life, that your life confesses because your heart is in alignment with the Lord as Jesus being Lord of your life. And your whole life changes and your life reflects what your heart believes. Paul writes and he says, out of the mouth the heart speaks. It is so true. Our heart will reflect these places of Jesus in our life. I want to read this again, verse 9, and help us to understand what Paul is saying. He's saying, verse 6, it says, But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. I want you to hear this. And then right down to verse 8, the word is near you. You don't have to go off somewhere to find it. You don't have to rise high and you don't have to go deep. It's right here. The word of God is powerful and it's moving and it wants to grab hold of you today. And when it does, that rhema word, not anything that you do, you got to hear me because this is the message right here. It's not anything that you'll do. But when you see that you are in sin and that you need a Savior, that rhema word, that truth of God, that revelation that is often missed, that rhema word does the work. It will come into you and it will change your heart that your words now will confess and your life will confess he is Lord. God does the work. When we put our faith in his plan, That if we confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now, I want you to hear that. For the heart one believes unto being in right standing with God. How do you get into right standing with God? Believe in the work that Jesus did through the plan the Father had laid out. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He's saying you won't have one without the other. When the heart is changed, your life will confess that you are saved. There have been times in my life when I have asked people if they were saved, and I've heard them say, well, we hope so. That's not what this scripture says. This scripture says that if your heart believes, your life will confess, you will know. There will be no doubt in your mind because your heart will be full of the word of God, that rhema word that changes your life, that brings you into a place that your life will confess he is Lord. You will know it. And there will be no question. If I had continued in the darkness, but had said a prayer that just simply said, Lord, yes, forgive me for this, my life would not have confessed the rhema word that changed my heart. Do you see what I'm saying? It wouldn't have. And I'd have known it. Nobody else might have known it. But deep down inside, I knew it. I knew what was happening in that night. You see, the keeping of the law, we're still under the law. The law teaches us. It's our tutor. It teaches us daily how to walk out the confession and the truth that's in our heart. He awakens us with his rhema word. Verse 11 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him, you will not be, I love this understanding, you will not be put to shame. You will not, you will not not receive what he has for you. You will, you will receive it. You don't have to feel shame anymore about who you are or what you've done. 
you will receive his gift when you believe on what he's done. For there's no distinction between Jews or Greeks, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is rich to those who call upon him, not just with empty words, but with a heart that is changed because of the confession that you make. I pray that if you're here today, that you would hear these words. They are close to you. They are near to you. You don't have to go anywhere to find more about the truth of what God is trying to say to you today. He is here and he is wanting to change your life. There are times when our lives are, and I would say this was true in my life, when God began to move in my life that night and change my life. But over my life, he continues to sanctify me, to continue to set me apart, to continue to bring truth into me. And if I have done what I said I was doing in confessing him as Lord, then immediately when he shows me something needs to be changed, I bow the knee. That's how you know. But if you continue to go in your own way and have your own righteousness, you are deceived. So if you're here today and you hear this message and you hear the Lord is tugging at your heart that you must, you must have a Savior because your righteousness is not good enough. That I pray that you would come to the back and allow our elders to pray with you as you come to this understanding in Romans and your heart is changed and your life will confess the word that he has put in your heart. Stand with me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to
take